All right. Well, hey, welcome to Grace this morning. Excited about starting this new series called What's the Difference? Uh, that video that you just watched featured Pastor Seth. And so that is one of the pastors on our team uh, giving candy to kids. There's nothing <laughs> sketchy about that at all. Uh, but, uh, but no, we're super excited to have you here at Grace. You can probably tell we are starting this new series called What's the Difference? And excited about jumping into this for the next uh, seven weeks together. If you're a guest, you came at an awesome time because you're kind of catching us at the beginning of this conversation that we're going to be in uh, together. Now, full disclosure, before we kind of jump in today, uh, this sermon series, we actually got the idea for this uh, first from our Norton campus. So uh, Grace Church has uh, multiple campuses. We have eight different campuses in different regions. And one of those is in Norton. And so Pastor Dan Gregory and his team a couple years ago did a very similar series to this. And I remember I was talking to him and I was talking to their team and they were explaining what they did in this series. And I just thought, oh my, what an important conversation that is. And so we have been kind of waiting for an opportunity to, to have a very similar kind of talk here at the Medina East Campus. And so we said, now is really a great time for us to do that. So we're excited about it. So let me tell you what we're doing in this series and, and kind of how we're going to be journeying for the next seven weeks together. So basically, uh, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be asking the question, uh, what's the difference between um, New Testament Christianity, something that we're going to call the gospel, and we'll explain that a little bit, but this is what... Grace Church, this is what this church believes and adheres to. What is the difference between New Testament Christianity, the gospel, and um, other major faith positions and world religions? And so that's really what we're going to be doing. We're just going to be talking about, uh, hey, what's the difference? What's the difference between New Testament Christianity and other major faith systems and uh, positions, you know, kind of uh, world religions that we, we see kind of throughout the world. Now, I know that even when I say that, when I say we're going to be talking about the difference between these two things, uh, for some of you, you might be thinking immediately, you might be thinking, okay, why? Like, why, why are we doing this series? Like, what is the point of this series? And maybe for some of us, quite honestly, even when I say this, it might make you a little bit uneasy. And, and I think there's, there's probably some good reason for that, right? Because all of us know that as it relates to the dining room table or other social settings, there are two topics that you're never allowed to talk about, right? One of them is politics, and what's the other one? Tell me. Religion, right? And with good reason, because a lot of times when you talk about things like religion and politics, these are emotionally charged conversations. There are high opinions that are involved, and they have the potential sometimes to be polarizing and to be alienating and to even be, in some cases, unnecessarily divisive. And so you might be asking the question, well, if that's the case and there's potential for that, why would you even, why would you even broach the subject and talk about something like this and do a series on it? And so I think that's a good question. It's worth thinking about a little bit. So let me tell you a little bit of why we're doing this series. And I also want to tell you kind of the goal of what we are trying to do and also what we're not trying to do um, throughout the next uh, kind of several weeks together as we jump uh, into this together. So one of the big reasons that I thought this was such an important conversation, that our team thought this was such an important conversation, is actually in part because of the cultural climate that we find ourselves in today. So if you, if you look at the society that we live in, I think one of the things that, we, that all of us would kind of agree with and we would say is that as it relates to this conversation, uh, what is the differences between religions and faith systems, there's actually a lot of confusion and quite honestly, maybe even a little bit of frustration 
around this whole conversation of talking about differences of faiths in different religions. And I think, at least in my experience, I think that part of the reason that there is that confusion and that there is some of that frustration is because there seems to be two common but very extreme opposite approaches to a conversation like this. All right, so the first one, I'm just kind of talk about these two common but extreme approaches. The first one, the first approach is something that I would call without charity. Right, without charity, that there is on one extreme, there's a group of people who would approach this conversation and they would do that in an uncharitable way. Now, what I mean by that is I mean without kindness, I mean without respect, I mean without love, I mean in a demeaning, in a degrading, in a condescending way, right? I think all of us can probably think of someone that we've crossed paths with or we've interacted with in life who had a very strong religious opinion or had a very strong faith persuasion, but also was very vocal and was very overbearing and harsh in the way in which they articulated that and in the way that they kind of explained that to you. I think all of us have experienced that, right? We've all kind of met the person who's the Jesus jerk and who blasts people on Facebook and uh, maybe you have a relative or maybe there's someone you know, in your neighborhood or maybe there's someone that just, man, they're harsh and it's overbearing. And whenever you have a conversation about different religions and different faith systems, it becomes, about, it becomes more about making a point or it becomes more about winning an argument than it does about having a conversation and actually seeking to understand somebody. And I think we've all kind of seen that. In fact, for some of you, Maybe the reason you even kind of tense up a little bit when I say that we're going to be talking about different religions in this series, maybe the reason you tense up is because some of you have been victimized by those who take this approach. Maybe you have been Bible bashed by somebody. Maybe you have been religiously bullied by someone who has really strong you know, faith opinions and tried to shove that down your throat without listening to you at all. And so clearly, I would say that this, there's been some abuse here, right? There definitely has been some abuse. But here's what I believe, is that just because there has been some abuse surrounding this conversation, it doesn't mean that it's not an important conversation to have. I actually really love the way Augustine said it. Augustine, who's a fourth century Christian theologian, he said this, we should never judge a philosophy by its abuse. I disagree with that. Just because something has been abused doesn't mean it's not an important conversation, doesn't mean it's not an important topic. And so that would be one extreme. But I would say that there's another extreme. And the other extreme approach would be you have without charity, but I would say the other one is without clarity. And in a lot of ways, I think that maybe the second approach is a reaction to and it's a response to the first one. It's almost like a pendulum swing in the opposite direction. And what I mean by without clarity, and I think more and more this becomes the, the kind of the approach of our culture today. Without clarity, what that basically is, if we look and we say, hey man, because this is such an emotionally charged conversation, and because there have been wars fought over this stuff, and because there's been people who have been hurt through this whole thing and there has been abuse, then here's what we're gonna say. Let's just all get along. All right, and so whatever's true for you is just true for you, and whatever's true for me is true for me. So each of us can just determine what we believe is right, and we believe is, who am I to tell you that what you believe isn't true, and who are you to tell me that I believe isn't true? And so because of that, what it's led to is there's just, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of fogginess around this whole topic of what exactly are the differences between different religions and those things. I think more and more, uh, this has become the refrain of our society. In fact, I want you just to consider with me for a minute some of these quotes that I think seem to kind of epitomize this mantra 
that we see. So, um, so here would be one of them. This comes from Victor Hugo. Uh, Victor Hugo is a French poet, uh, very influential in Western thought. He said, Toler- toleration is the best religion. And, uh, and really, I think what he said there has, in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of epitomized uh, the tone that we see within our culture today. The best religion is basically to be tolerant of all religions. It's kind of what he's, what he's kind of saying here. How about this one? This is Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, has been an incredible influence in Western thinking. He said this. He said, you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it doesn't exist. That's what he said. So basically what he's saying there is, look, you have your way, I have my way, but nobody has a corner on truth. All right, And so no one has the way. No one can claim exclusivity in their belief system is what he's saying here. How about this one? The Dalai Lama, he said, this is my simple religion. There is no need for temples. There is no need for complicated philosophy. Our own brain, our own heart is our temple, and the philosophy is kindness. And so again, just again, I think this really in a lot of ways is sort of what we see in culture. We don't need religion. We don't need organized systems and structures and complicated philosophies. All we need is our own mind. We need our own heart, our own opinions. And as long as everyone's being kind to each other, as long as nobody is getting hurt, then that's the best way for us to live. And that's what the Dalai Lama would say. Or how about this, Muhammad Ali, right, the famous boxer. He said, rivers, ponds, lakes, and streams, they all have different names, but they all contain water just as all religions do. They all contain truths. And what's he saying there? Basically saying this. He's saying, listen, all religions are, are basically saying the same thing. We're just using different words, right? So you, you call it God. Someone else is going to call it Allah. Someone else is going to say a higher power. We're all talking about the same realities, but it's all pointing to the same thing. So Muhammad Ali would say. And so I think that a lot of this kind of embodies and characterizes what we see in our culture. And a lot of it can be summed up in that famous bumper sticker that you guys see, kind of the coexist bumper sticker, right? And and here's the thing about that thinking, about this no clarity approach, as I kind of like to call it, is that in some ways, um, there's actually elements of it that are really really good. Um, because the, I think the, the whole thought that we can be different and we can love each other and that we can get along is actually a wonderful, is a wonderful thought. But if you think about what some of these, what some of these quotes and, and kind of the ideology that lies behind this, if you actually think about it a little bit, I think you'll, you'll, you'll see that there's actually a problem with it. And, and here's the problem that lies with this, is that while it is true, it's true, that every major faith system and every world religion is seeking to answer the same questions. That's true. The reality is that the way in which they're answering those questions is actually very different. It is, we are not saying the same thing. We are actually saying very different things. And I think that we, we think it honors others by telling them that we are basically saying the same thing. But I think in reality, we're actually dishonoring each other because we're being dishonest, because we're actually not saying the same thing. It's not all of us using different words to say the same thing. It's just not the case. I love the way uh, Ravi Zacharias put it. Ravi Zacharias is an apologist. He wrote a phenomenal book called Jesus Among Other Gods. I'd recommend it to you. It's, it's really a great read. He said this. He said, it took years to find out that the cry for openness is never what it purports to be. What the person means by saying you must be open to everything is really you must be open to everything that I'm open to. And anything that I disagree with, you must disagree with too. 
And I think what he's saying here is really insightful, that, that, uh, that if, you know, if you think about it for just a little bit of time, that if, if someone says nobody can have an absolute truth claim, that in and of itself is an absolute truth claim. And so it all folds in on itself. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so here's the thing. We live in a time right now where we are taught by our culture and by our society, and I think it's unfortunate that this is the case, but we are taught that to disagree with somebody, to disagree with someone's belief or to disagree with someone's lifestyle is tantamount to hating them. If you disagree with me, that, mu- that means you must hate me. And I think that's unfortunate because I don't think it needs to be that way. But because we're taught that, basically what we do is we say, we're going to keep the peace and we're going to say that there is no truth and everybody is right. Everybody is right and nothing is true. And I don't think that makes a whole lot of of sense. And so that kind of leads me to this. leads me to this. What is the goal of this series? What is the goal? And so let me just kind of put it succinctly. The goal of this series, well, first off, let me say what the goal is not, okay? So the goal is not to be critical or to bash any other faith system. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that our goal is not to be harsh in our tone, is not to criticize or belittle other faith systems. That's just not it. So what is the goal then? Well, here it is, just plain and simple. The goal of this series is to explore and explain the key differences between New Testament Christianity, the message of the gospel, and other major faith systems with, now here's the key, with charity and with clarity. But that's it. That is the goal of this series, is we want to unwrap the Bible And we want to look and we say, what is the difference between New Testament Christianity and other major faith systems of the world? Because there there are differences. But we want to do that with charity. We want to do that with love. We want to do that with respect. We want to do that with grace. And we also want to do that with clarity. We want to say there are real differences. And let's talk about what those things are. So let me just kind of give you an outline of what we're hoping to do over the next uh, seven weeks together, or the next six weeks, because this week is an introduction. And so next week... We're actually going to talk about what is the difference between New Testament Christianity and some of the basic components that make up a cult. So is Christianity a cult? If, if it isn't, what is it that makes it different than that? So we're going to talk about that. What is the difference? That's next week. The week after that, we're going to have a chance to talk about what is the difference between New Testament Christianity and the way that it expresses itself through Protestantism and Catholicism. So we're going to talk about that. I would say I think this week might be a really important week for some of you. I know many of uh, the folks who go to this church, like me, uh, grew up in a Catholic background. And maybe you're asking, what's the difference? Maybe for some of you right now, you are a practicing Catholic. And you might be asking the question, what is the difference between this church and my other church that I'm part of? And so like I said, with charity and with clarity, we just want to say, here it is. Here's kind of the difference between those things. In the weeks after that, we're going to talk about uh, what's the difference between New Testament Christianity and the Islamic faith, Buddhism, New Age spirituality. And the week before Easter, we're going to talk about this thing called the prosperity gospel. What is that and how is that different than New Testament Christianity? So we're going to kind of flow through those things together. I'm excited about this conversation and, uh, and pumped about getting a chance to do that together. So this might beg another really important question um, that is good for us to talk about in this introduction. And that's this, um, who's this series for? So you might be thinking, who is this series geared to? Uh, What is the audience that you have in mind as we are kind of journeying through this together? So let me just kind of give you the basic answer and then I'll kind of tease it out a little bit. But the basic answer is the series is for everybody. 
It's just, it's for everybody. No matter where you are in your faith journey, no matter what your religious background is, no matter what your current religious status is, we would say that this is actually for everybody. It's kind of an all-play series, and we would love to invite anyone to come and listen and be part of that. But let me just say specifically, for those who follow Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, let me explain why I think this series is important for you, okay? So my hope is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that this series will help clarify to you and to me uh, what the gospel is and what the gospel is not, what the gospel is not. So um, unequivocally, here at Grace Church, uh, we believe and are centered on New Testament Christianity and the gospel. The fact that if you've been here at Grace for any length of time, you might know that our vision statement here is to ignite a gospel-centered Movement. And so like I said, unequivocally, that is what we're focused on, is we are focused on the message of the gospel. We believe that to be true. But let me tell you something that I have found in our own church and in our own life groups and in conversations that I've had with people who follow Jesus. I've noticed something. I've noticed that we are taking things that are outside of the gospel and we are adding them to it. And I have noticed that we are taking things that are inside of the gospel and we are subtracting from it. I don't think some of this is happening intentionally, but it's happening. And let me tell you why that's such a big deal for those of us who follow Jesus. Because the Apostle Paul is going to say, and we're going to see this a little bit later today, the Apostle Paul is going to say, whenever you add to or you subtract from the gospel, you actually lose it. You actually lose the gospel. And Paul's going to say this. He's going to say that whenever you revise the gospel, you actually reverse the gospel. And so I think for those of us who follow Jesus, this is very important because it's going to help us clarify what is the gospel and what isn't the gospel, what isn't the gospel. Here's the other reason I think this is important for those of us who follow Jesus. My hope is that this series will help us love our neighbors better. So hear me say this. This is so important to hear. For those of us who follow Jesus, the point of this series is not to give you ammunition so that you can win arguments with other people who believe different than you. All right, that's not it. This is not going to give you uh, more ammunition to be a Jesus jerk on Facebook. All right, don't do that. Nothing good happens on Facebook, all right? So no good conversation or religious debates happening there. So that's not the point. So what is the point? Well, the point is, the hope is that it might help us to understand and love others better. The very Jesus that we claim to follow, for those of us who follow Christ, commanded us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and especially those who are different than us, those who believe different, those who live different lifestyles. And so my hope is that this might help us love better and to seek to understand those who are different and have different uh, kind of faith perspectives. So for the follower of Jesus, for those investigating Jesus, so if you're a person that's investigating Christ in this room today, uh, we understand that not everyone here today follows Jesus, and we are so thankful that you're here. We say this all the time, and I really do mean it. If you're a person investigating Jesus, we count it an honor, we count it a privilege that you would let us uh, take part in that investigation. But my hope is that this series is really for you too, because my hope is that this will be clarifying to you. It will be helpful to you. Because in this series, we're going to talk about, man, what is, what, what is the heart? What is the essence of the Christian message? So I want to be clear about that. And so I just want to encourage you, too, if you're a person investigating Jesus, you do not have to agree with us to be here. 
that's, that's just not one of the, you know, it's not one of the requirements to be here is that you have to agree with everything we say. And so I'm excited you're here and want to encourage you to kind of process. If you're a person investigating Jesus, quite honestly, we kind of actually built this place with you in mind. And we, we basically said, we want to create a safe place for you to investigate Christ, to ask questions and to seek answers together. And so that's it. And then the last one I just say is simply everyone's for everyone. So if you're a person in this room who adheres to some of the other faith systems that I put on the screen a moment ago, so glad you're here. And we would love to welcome you to this conversation and to have you be part of it as well. All right, so that's who this whole series is for. Now, like I said, that's what's coming in weeks to come. This week is an introduction. And so what I wanna do today with the short time that we have left is I just wanna kinda introduce you to sort of the big idea of the whole series as we kind of jump into this together. And the way I want to do that is I want to invite you to grab your Bible, and if you would, if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Okay, so Galatians 1 is where I'm going to have you flip. It's going to be on page 810. So those Bibles that are underneath the chairs, you can grab those and you can find yourself to page 810. If you don't own a Bible, you can have one of those. We'd love for you to take one home with you. So Galatians 1 is where I want you to go. Now, as you're finding Galatians 1, the reason I'm having you turn here is because this entire series is going to be based out of this book. Okay, so we are going to be working our way through the book of Galatians as we uh, kind of work our way through this series. So we'll be doing two things at once, working through Galatians and then looking at these different faith systems. So we're going to be coming back and coming back to this book. Now, as you're finding the book of Galatians, I just want to give you just a small amount of background on what's going on in this book, because I think it's going to be helpful for the weeks to come. So just a little bit of background on the book of Galatians. Uh, well, first and foremost, here's what's kind of interesting. If you're not a Bible person, you might hear us saying the book of Galatians. And actually, it's not the best way to say it because it's really not a book. It's really not a book. What it is is it's actually an ancient letter. And so it was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, which we'll talk about him and kind of explain a little bit about him a little bit later in this series. It was written by a guy called the Apostle Paul, and it was written to Christians in a region called Galatia. Okay, so Galatia is kind of where modern-day Turkey would be. Uh, but basically, this is a letter. It's a letter that was written by Paul to this church in this region called uh, Galatia. Interestingly, it was written around 48 A.D., it's actually thought that the book of Galatians is the earliest book in the Old Testament. You think about this, this was just a little bit, a little bit more than a decade after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So not a whole lot of time had elapsed from those events. And so the book of Galatians was written. And the reason it was written is because the church that Paul is writing to had drifted away from the gospel. So that's actually the reason he writes this. So basically, not to get too into it, uh, but the Apostle Paul was kind of like a first century church planter. He went to this region called Galatia. He started telling people about the gospel, about the message of New Testament Christianity. And these people were transformed by that message. They gave their lives to Jesus and they started to develop these churches and everything was growing and people's lives were being transformed. Well, the Bible tells us that after a period of time, the Apostle Paul left Galatia to go plant churches in another region and after he left, there were some teachers who were coming into Galatia, and they were telling these people that what Paul said, that the message of the gospel was true, but that it was incomplete. 
And so they said, yeah, what Paul said is true, but you also need laws and you also need the Jewish customs in order to be accepted by God. So the apostle Paul heard this and he writes this letter. Now, if I could just give you succinctly what is the main theme of the book of Galatians, I would put it to you this way, all right? So here's the book of Galatians in a nutshell. Paul's basically gonna say this. He's gonna say, listen, Jesus plus anything equals nothing, all right? So Jesus plus religious adherence, Jesus plus rules and regulations, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. It's not the gospel. But what he's going to say is he's gonna say Jesus plus nothing actually equals everything. It's, it's all about Jesus. That is the message that Paul is going to teach us here in the book of Galatians. Let me, let me show you how this kind of works itself out. So we'll start off Galatians chapter one, verse one. All right, so let's just go ahead and jump in. Look how Paul starts this letter. I think this is really interesting. So he starts off, he says, Paul, an apostle sent not from, man, not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Okay, so basically he's like, it's Paul writing to the Galatians. And then in verse three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. All right, so let me just kind of pause there for a second. One to four, verses one to four, is actually a very customary greeting that Paul would give in the letters that he wrote to his churches, so very customary. Now, here's what I want you to notice what happens next. Paul gives his greeting, and then watch this. Paul just launches into this thing. Look at verse six. I am astonished. So he's like, hey guys, how you doing? And then immediately, I am astonished is what he says. I am shocked. I am flabbergasted. I am floored, that's what he says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and you're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So I want you, I want you to notice what Paul is doing here. His language is very strong. But I want you to notice, and without getting too into the weeds on this, the letter of Galatians is actually set up very different than any other letter that the Apostle Paul writes. So if you're not a Bible person, what you might not know is that most of your New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And it's in a series of letters that he would have written. So he wrote the letter of Ephesians, and he wrote the letter of Colossians, and First and Second Corinthians, and Thessalonians. And if you look at those letters, you'll notice that Paul, Paul follows a very similar outline in his introduction. So without, again, without getting too into it, here, here is kind of Paul's standard intro when he writes a letter. Now, this is the Tony version, all right? So this doesn't go exactly like this. But it basically is something like this. Paul starts off, and he basically says, hey, it's me. It's Paul. So if you read any of his letters, he'll say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, or whatever, whoever he's writing to. And then after that, what he does, and this is just like prototypical, is he will, he will go into this thanksgiving and prayer section. And so he'll say, man, I thank God for you all. I'm praying for you guys. And so if you read, like, for example, in the book of Philippians, he's like, you guys, you know, it's Paul to the Philippians. And then he's like, I, I thank God every time I think about you. And it's right for me to feel this way. I love you guys. I miss you guys. You guys are doing such a good job. And he basically will do that. And then he, after that, he basically says, okay, let's talk shop. So about whatever situation is happening in your church, in your city, let's go ahead and talk about it. Now, this is Paul's standard intro. Galatians is different. 
Galatians is different because Paul skips this middle part. He's like, I got no, no time to thank God for you. And what he does is this. This is, this is Galatians. Hey, it's me, Paul. What the heck? What the heck, guys? I am astonished. I am shocked. And, and listen, here's the thing. Why? Why is Paul so fired up here? Why is he so amped? Why is he like, I don't have time to talk about the encouraging things that you're doing because I have to get to this. What's the urgency? Well, do you notice? He says it three times. He says it three times. You're turning to a different gospel, which is actually not the gospel. There are people who are trying to confuse you and they are perverting the gospel. Three times, he says, the problem is that there's an issue with the gospel, with the gospel. Now, right here, I think, is maybe a great opportunity uh, for me to ask a very important question for those who are followers of Jesus and especially for those who are investigating Jesus, you might be asking yourself right now, and that's this. Okay, so what's the gospel? Like if this is a thing that Paul's all fired up about and he's like, I don't have time to do my standard letter format because I just got to get right down to business, what is that? And so here's what I think is helpful. This is an introductory week. In the weeks to come, we're going to parse out what the gospel is. But I think it would be helpful for me to give you just a very basic definition. For those who are followers and those who are investigating Jesus, this would be very helpful. What is the core of New Testament Christianity? What is the gospel? So let me give you a very simple definition of what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And you're actually gonna see this very simple, simple definition right in this passage. So if you go back to verse three, I actually want you to notice this. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Now this little section of the Bible is very easy to read right past and not think about what it means. Um, it's full of seemingly churchy language and we can just read right past it and not think about it. But what I want you to notice is that in this passage, Paul is actually giving us a very simple but clear definition of what the gospel is. And what is that? Well, first off, I want you to notice that there really is only one subject here, right? All of these, all of these verbs, all of these predicates, all of these you know, clauses that you see, what are they all pointing to? They're pointing to Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who's the Lord. Jesus is the one who's giving himself for our sins. Jesus is the one who's rescuing. Jesus is the one to whom all glory be forever and ever, amen. And so the gospel, first and foremost, it's about Jesus. It's, it's about Jesus and it's about what he's done and it's about who he is, all right? But here's what I want you to notice more than anything else. In fact, if you've tuned me out to this point in the conversation, I want you to tune me back in because this might be the most important thing I need to say today. That at its very heart, at its very root, there's a very important word in here, in this passage, that's very clarifying, that makes the gospel different. Here's the difference between New Testament Christianity and every other faith system and world religion. And it's this, it's the word rescue. What did Jesus come to do? He came to, he came to rescue. That the heart of the gospel is rescue. It's a message of rescue. The word rescue is a very important and powerful word, as simple as it is. It is so powerful. And so in the Greek language, it's actually kind of an aggressive word. It literally means to pluck out is what it means. 
It means to, it means to deliver from, and it means to snatch out of destruction and danger. That's what it means. That's the idea. And that right there is the key and is the core of the message of the gospel. Let me put it another way. The gospel, New Testament Christianity, is not fundamentally about rules. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about just doing the right things in the right order and keeping the commandments and becoming better people. It's not about rules. It's about rescue. New Testament Christianity, the gospel, is not fundamentally about rituals. It's not about traditions or doing the right things in just the right way and in the right order so that somehow you can get God's ear. That's not what it's about. It's about rescue. It's not about religion. It's about rescue. It's about rescue. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, I know what I'm saying that that might sound kind of abstract. So let me see if I can give you an illustration to maybe make it a little more concrete. All right. So uh, it's kind of a silly illustration, um, but I think it does the trick. So humor me for a minute. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you and me and, um, and an Olympic swimmer, a gold medalist Olympic swimmer, are hanging out. All right? Don't overthink it. It's a silly illustration. Don't ask why. We just are. All right? So we're hanging out. And let's say that randomly, for no reason at all, someone throws the three of us smack dab in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. All right? We're just in the middle of the ocean. And we got to swim. We are thousands of miles from any landmass at all. Now, let's say in this illustration, okay, that um, let's just say for illustration's sake that you're a better swimmer than I am, which might be the case. So let's say you're stronger, you, you have more experience swimming than I do. So let's say I'm the weakest. And what that means is, it means that if I, if I swim, maybe, just maybe, if I really go at it hard enough, I might be able to swim five miles. Like, I think I could do it. I think if my life depended on it, I could probably swim five miles. But maybe after five miles, six miles, seven miles, I'm going to eventually lose steam, and I'm going to eventually run out of gas, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna sink. And that's it for me. I'm doomed. Now, let's say you're stronger than I am. You're a better swimmer. Let's say you make it 10. Or you know what? Let's give you the benefit. Let's say you go 15 to 20. You really go for it. But the same thing's going to happen to you. You're going to run out of gas, and eventually you're going to run out of steam, and you're going to sink. Now, that Olympic swimmer, man, this person, you know, he or she, they have trained their whole life for this. They have swam miles. They are geared and conditioned for this. Let's say they swim 100 miles, which, by the way, I actually Googled it. I was just interested. What is the furthest a human being's ever swam? You know, it's 139 miles. That's unbelievable to me. So let's say this person, because their life depends on it, they, they swim 150, all right? They just really go for it. But here's the reality is that they are going to face the same destination that you and me are because all of us are doomed because here's what we need. We need rescued is what we need. Now, let's keep going with this illustration for a minute, all right? Let's, let's suppose that we're in, dropped in the ocean and we got to swim. And let's say a boat, miraculously, a boat shows up, all right? And we're like, oh, thank God. And this boat comes by us. And the person on the boat says, hey, hey, are you guys okay? And we're like, no, we're not okay. We're like, we, we, we're thousands of miles from land. We don't know what to, we can't, you know, get out of the situation. And let's say the person says, well, you're in luck. You're in luck. And they, they, they reach down, and they pull something, and they throw it to us. And what they throw us is this, the complete beginner's guide to swimming. <laughs> they say, you're in luck because we got some good advice for you. We got some good advice. And I know you can't swim very well, but I'm telling you with practice, if you do the things in that book, you might be as good as that other Olympic swimmer. 
and then they zoom off, right? <laughs> How am I going to feel about that? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll be honest with you, this might help me. It actually might help me swim another mile, maybe. But it's not going to change the fact that I'm doomed, that we're all doomed. And let's say another boat comes zooming up, all right? And we're like, oh, thank God, another one. What are the chances in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? And this guy says, are you guys all right? And we're like, no, we're not. And he says, why? He's like, well, you're in luck. And he throws us a compass and a map. And he says, you're in luck because I got good directions. You're in luck. There is a mile, or a mile. There, there is an island about 700 miles that way. And you know what? You guys can save yourself a lot of energy if you just did that. Then you don't have to swim 2,000. You can only have to swim 700. And I tell you, is that going to help us? Well, it might, it might, we might be swimming in the right direction, but it's not going to change the fact that we are totally, totally doomed. Let's say a third boat comes up. Right? It's starting to sound like a joke, isn't it? Let's say a third boat comes up. And they say, hey, are you guys okay? And we're like, no. People keep throwing stuff at us. And they're like, well, well, you're in luck. You're in luck because what we got, we got some good vibes. And they pull out a boom box and they start playing some motivational music for us, right? They start playing Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. They start playing The Eye of the Tiger. And they're like, you can do it. Just look at the bright side. You know, don't be so pessimistic. And here's the truth. We might feel motivated, but we're still doomed, we're still doomed. Why? Because listen, we don't, we don't need good advice. We don't need good directions. We don't need good vibes. What we need, let's say a fourth boat comes up. He says, are you, guys, are you guys in trouble? And we say, we are in trouble. And he says, ah, I've got good news for you. I've got good news. And he throws us this flotation device and dives into the water and he snatches us out of our situation and he brings us safely onto the boat. He says, you're saved, you're saved. That's good news. Here's what I want you guys to understand. The gospel, New Testament Christianity, what the apostle Paul is gonna say, he's gonna say, listen, the gospel is not fundamentally about good advice. That's not it. Jesus didn't come to give us moral behavior so that we could become more upstanding citizens. It's not why he came. Jesus didn't come to give good directions. Jesus did not come and say, you guys, I came to show you the way to God. That's not what he said. John 14, 6, Thomas looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, can you show us the way to God? And do you know what Jesus said? He said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and nobody gets to God except through me. That is a radical statement of exclusivity. And I understand that. But that is what Jesus Christ declared about himself. Can I just tell you, there is no other world religious leader who has ever said that. If, if you looked at Confucius or Muhammad or if you looked at Buddha and you said, you're the savior, you're the way, they would be offended by that because that's not what they taught. They said, no, we came to show you the way, but we're not the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the Messiah, I am the Savior. It's not about good directions. It's not, listen, guys, this is so important. Christianity is not about good vibes. It's not about positive thinking and optimism, and we just need to feel better about ourselves and be like more uplifting people. That's not what the essence of Christianity is about. At its very core, it's a message of rescue. 
It's a message of good news. Did you know that the word gospel in the Greek language is the word euangelion, and it literally means good news? It means good news. And so that is the heart of what New Testament Christianity is all about. Now, I don't want to belabor the illustration, but just for just a second longer, I want you to imagine we're on that boat, we're saved, and we are resting in the salvation and the grace of the one who rescued us. Say that's happening. And we are being taken home back to land. And let's say that on our way, we start to get close enough, we're like 50 miles away from the shore, and all of a sudden we can see land. And let's say that someone comes up to us on that boat, some evil, wicked person, probably from Michigan, right? (laughs) And let's say they come up to us and they say, hey, yes, you've been saved. Yes, you've been rescued. But let me tell you, from here on out, now that we can see the shore, you got to do the rest on your own. So you need to jump off the boat and you need to take care of the rest of the, this, this rest of the 50 miles, you got to take care of that on your own. And let's say that we, we're like, we are totally dumbfounded and we, we, we're like, okay, and we jump off the boat and we start swimming. What is the one who rescued us going to say? He's going to say, why did you do that? I'm, ast- I'm astonished. I'm shocked that you would do that. And listen, that's exactly what Paul says. I'm so, I'm shocked that you decided to jump off the boat. Why did you jump off of the gospel and back into legalism and back into works? Why would you do that? And what's interesting is we're going to find out in weeks to come, there's a group of teachers called the Judaizers. And these guys basically came up and they said, yeah, what Paul said about the gospel is true, but it's the gospel plus now that Jesus has saved you, you have to finish the rest of it on your own. So yes, you're saved by Jesus, but you need, to fin- you need to continue to be saved by your good works. And so now you need to go through Jewish customs and laws. You need to be circumcised. You need all these dietary restrictions. You got to go through all this stuff if you want to continue to be accepted by God. And Paul says, no, no, that's not it. What Paul's going to say is this, that Christianity starts with the gospel and that it stays with the gospel that for those of us who follow Jesus, this is the message, is that we are saved by the grace of God, we are being saved by the grace of God, and we will be saved by the grace of God. It's all the way through. I love the way Tim Keller put it. Tim Keller is an author and pastor in New York City. He said it so well. He said, the gospel is not just the ABCs, the beginning point of Christianity, it's the A to Z. It's the whole thing, all the way across. Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians do. And so that's the whole thing. He's going to say it's the gospel is everything from front to end. And that's the message of New Testament Christianity. That's the band to come up. And as they make their way up and as we kind of close our time down, I want to just kind of end our time. And I want to talk for, like I said, this is an introduction. I just want to end our time by talking to you for just a moment about why I think it's important that you stay tuned in for the rest of this series. Okay, so let me just talk to two audiences. Let me talk first to those who follow Jesus. So for those of us who are Christ followers, talk to us. Then I'm gonna talk to those who are investigating Jesus, okay? So for those of us who follow Jesus, here's why this series is so important. Not only is it so important so that we can understand how to love others better and understand some of the key differences, one of the reasons this is so important is that we can clearly understand what the gospel is. If I could summarize what the book of Galatians teaches Christians... It's this. What Paul's basically going to say in the book of Galatians is, you think you understand the gospel, but you actually don't understand the gospel. 
And Paul's gonna actually say, it's only when, it's only when you recognize that the gospel is so vast and is so inexhaustible and is so expansive and far-reaching in its implications. It's only when you realize that it's inexhaustible that you're actually starting to understand that. That's actually the mission of Galatians. In fact, he's gonna tell us that those of us who follow Jesus, that we have a proclivity to drift from the gospel all the time. In fact, let me just give you a few things. This, right, right out of the book of Galatians, some of the things that he teaches, let me just give you some indications for followers of Jesus that we need and continue to need the gospel. All right, so let's just see, kind of self-diagnose. Let's see if you can relate to some of these, okay? So for followers of Jesus, when I am perpetually scared that I might be, not be doing enough to be accepted by God, Anyone ever feel that way? I'm afraid I might, I'm not doing enough to be accepted by God. Well, what Galatians is gonna say, what the Apostle Paul is gonna say is that's actually an indication that you need the gospel or that you have drifted from it because the gospel actually teaches something very different than that, something very different. How about this one? When I do good things for God and for others and it makes me feel more worthy of his grace and better than other people, Paul's gonna say, yeah, that's an indicator that you, you need the gospel and you may have drifted. When you find that if you do good things for God, when you serve or when you give or when you love other people or you do nice things, it makes you feel like God loves you more or it makes you feel like that you're out swimming other Christians, that you're going further than they are. Paul's gonna say, yeah, yeah, that's actually an indicator that you need the gospel and you've actually drifted from it. How about this one? When I view the gospel as the beginner stuff of Christianity, that's a clear indication that you need the gospel. For some of you, quite honestly, maybe you grew up in the church or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and this whole time I've been talking, you've been thinking to yourself, I already know this. When are we gonna move on to more complicated, sophisticated things in the gospel? And can I just tell you, with, with all the grace in my heart, that's actually a very clear indication that you don't understand the gospel. It's not the ABCs, it's the A to Z. I love, love, love the way that one Princeton theologian, Charles Hodge, put it. He said this, he said, the gospel is so simple that a small child can understand it, and it's so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. And I agree with that. Here's one. Um, when I mess up, for those of us who follow Jesus, when I mess up, I feel like there's a probation period of time in which I need to behave to be okay with God. Anyone else have that, or is that just me? I feel if I mess up, I'm like, oh, I screwed up. Well, that means I can't pray and I can't be around God or God's people. I need to like have a period of time where I can like get right with God again before I can be back in his graces. Right, what is that? That's not the gospel. It's an indication that we need the gospel. How about this one? When I think things like God is mad at me this week because I fill in the blank or God accepts me this week because I fill in the blank. It's a real good indication that we're missing the gospel because this is not how it works. It's not how it works. Um, when I do things for God and others because I have to, not because I get to or because I want to, when I'm motivated by duty or guilt and not by grace, it's just a clear indicator that we're missing something in the gospel. So if you relate with those, I think that it's going to show us this series. We're gonna show us how we need the gospel and how we drift from it as well. And lastly, I'll just say this. For those, for those who are investigating Jesus, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so, so we're gonna talk about the differences between these different religions and New Testament Christianity, that's fine. Um, but what's the big deal? Like, so at the end of the series, what's gonna be the point? I know the difference and that's it, that's like the point. 
And so let me, let me tell you why I think this is so important. So I'll just be very honest with you and very upfront with you. Here at Grace Church, we believe, and I believe with all my heart, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real and is true. And I know you might not, and we, we, ha- we respect that. We respect that. But for those of us who follow Jesus and who believe the message of the gospel, listen, we believe that the implications are very big to a conversation like this. Because we believe that this conversation is not just a matter of personal preference or a matter of just interesting conversation. For those who believe what I said is true about the gospel, we think this is an issue of rescue. And we think this is an issue of salvation. And I know you might not agree with that. And like I said, I respect you for that. If you don't agree, I respect that. I also would say, I don't think you're dumb if you don't agree with that. I don't think that you're evil if you don't agree with that. But can I just tell you, I would say that if I believe that that's true and I loved you, I would tell you that um, it would be the most unloving thing for me to look at you and say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Because if I believe what Jesus said is true, then that means that there is, there is salvation at stake. And so I would just say, whether you agree with that or not, or you disagree with that, you're still investigating that, would you maybe consider it? Would you, I wanna invite you and I wanna encourage you to maybe press in and see, is there a legitimacy to these things that we're talking about? So I wanna encourage you and invite you to join us for the rest of the weeks in this series. Let's pray. Well, God, we just wanna invite you in this whole conversation. And Lord, I pray you'd show yourself. And I wanna pray for, uh, for those of us who follow you, that you would clearly help us understand uh, the truth about who you are and the truth about what it means to interact with you. Well, I pray you'd do that. And I also pray for those who maybe are investigating you And Jesus, I just wanna pray on their behalf right now that if you are real, that you would show yourself to them in and through your word and in and through your people and in and through this series. And so God, I know that every single person in this room is so deeply and dearly loved by you. And Father, I know they're loved by us as well. And so thank you for that. Thank you for the love that you've given to us and the love that we can share with each other. We pray these things in Christ's name.